be in Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through 18, talking about the advancement of the gospel. And I was actually laying in bed last night or early this morning, and I was thinking about this, um, just with everything that's going on. I just got, you know, here's my heart. We just, we just finished singing about that, so I just want to kind of be really transparent with you guys today, uh, tonight. I knew that when we woke up today, after we finally went to sleep, that we were going to be a divided country. That's not victorious in my eyes. Uh, and I'm not saying whether you fall to the left or to the right. I don't care. I only care that if you are a follower of Jesus and God will lead you where he wants you to lead politically, that whole side. But it's exactly what we're going to look at tonight. We have the opportunity to choose how we look at various situations. I learned that from my wife early on when we got married. Uh, and we, we tell Gabrielle that all the time. Like, hey, you can't, you can't control what people say to you, how people, if, if anyone talks about you, how people perceive you. The only thing that you can control is your own actions in life. Uh, Ryan and I were actually talking about that today, you know, success in ministry, uh, outside of faithfulness. I said, look, never let anyone get you to the point to where you lose your temper because you've lost control of your own actions. Today, we're going to look at how Paul kept joy in all things. We Remember, the whole theme of Philippians is what? I just said it. it it's Alyssa's middle name. Did you know that? Did you know what your middle name was? Okay, awesome. <laughs> Actually, there for that split second, I thought, that is her middle name, I hope, because she's looking like... Uh, anyway, so we're going to look at that. Now, Ryan did such a good job last week uh, kind of opening us up, uh, talking about the Philippians, how Paul was thankful for them. Uh, we see in the passages of Scripture that he, he showed them, th- he, he was very thankful for the Thanksgiving, how he prayed for these people. These are, just, these are people that Paul was very close to. Now, please, I, I have not planted any churches per se. Our church is a part of some church plants in Canada. Um, I, I, had the, I had the privilege and the honor of preaching a inaugural service for a church that meets in Kenya. Uh, many of you guys have been there for Charles's church in Kenya. He, uh, a few years ago when that church started, he asked me to preach the first service. So I, I kind of liken it to those things. Every time I go back to Kenya, I, I see these people that I know, that I pray for, that I've, I've grown to love, uh, especially, especially and specifically Charles and Anne uh, that will be here in January. And now, of course, this coming Sunday, uh, the big show, we, we call him Scott Ridenour, uh, but most people, he's the pastor in Canada, he'll be with us this Sunday, uh, but we've been really good friends for a long time. So it's a little different with him. So I can kind of understand what Paul's talking about, how he, he loves this certain group of people because he's invested into their lives and their spiritual growth. So obviously we see this whole love that he has for them uh, because he talks about he prays for them, he's thankful for them, and all this stuff as well too. Now, these are a people that will probably be concerned with Paul's welfare. That's why at the very beginning of the letter, these people know that Paul's in prison. They know that he's in Rome. He's bound by chains. Uh, he's imprisoned there with the Roman guard. So he lets them know right ahead, hey, I'm okay. And so let's, let's pick up there in chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. We'll read this whole thing. 
Then we're going to break these things down and talk through them. Paul talks about this. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, the former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, but not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul's in dire straits. He's in prison. But Paul constantly looks at this for the gain of the kingdom. He says, look, I know that I'm in prison, and I know that you guys are worried about me, but I want you to know that I'm okay. So Paul, I want us to look at a few things, chiefly Paul's attitude to this whole thing. Remember, I said that that's one thing that no one can ever control. No one can ever take control of your attitude. You control your own attitude, how you look at circumstances, how you look at life. Um, so this is what Paul saw about. So I want us to look at this, and, and look, specifically as Paul's in prison, he, he talks about how he's doing. He says, look, hey, I'm okay. Uh, you guys know what's going on. Don't be overly concerned with me. Paul's focusing on the good news, not the bad news. He doesn't focus on the bad, like, hey, I'm in prison, this is no good, but instead he focuses on the good. He says, yes, I'm in prison, but what's happened to me has really happened to serve the advancement of the gospel. See, Paul's one of those guys to where the cup is not half empty, it's what? Half full. He's an optimist. And I will have to say, and my wife would call me out for lying if I didn't say this, there are sometimes, just being truthful, I'll look at things from a, from a pessimistic point of view. And she's like, honey, you're looking at it from, from a negative point of view. And I'll say, honey, I'm just looking at it from a realist point of view, right? So, so even I fall prey to this sometimes. Yes, it is a realist point of view, but also if it's half empty, that means the glass is also what? Half full. That's a realist point of view as well myself. So that's what Paul's doing. Paul's like, look, I'm in prison, yes, but let's don't focus on the bad, let's focus on the good. What was Paul's chief and foremost passion in life ever since he got converted on the road to Damascus? What is it that Paul has wanted to do ever since then? Make much of Jesus. What, what someone said something? Advance the gospel. Absolutely, man. To advance the gospel, and the way that he does that is he makes much of Jesus in everything that he does. His whole life is sold out for this. Mine's not completely, if I'm being honest with you. And if we're, if we're being honest with ourselves, I think each of us probably would say, ours isn't either. We're going to grow in this together, guys, I promise. But the only way we do this is as we continue leaning in and reading God's Word and growing together. Doing this in community. This is made to be proclaimed and taught and talked about in community. So, Paul is this guy. He says, hey, look, let's don't look at the bad. Let's look at the good. The gospel is being proclaimed. Now, was Paul's travel restricted? Could he leave where he was? No, because he's in prison. Was Paul ever alone at all during this time? 
No, remember Ryan talked about this last, last week. I mean, Paul was literally shackled, uh, and then he had a chain that I can't remember how, exactly how long it was, but he was literally chained to another guard. I think there were, they, they pulled six-hour shifts, so that means that he saw four people throughout the day. Everything he did, he was chained to someone. You got to go to the bathroom, right? He's chained to somebody. You're trying to go to sleep. You're trying to eat. You're trying to do all these things. But here's how Paul looked at it. Paul didn't say, hey, I'm restricted. I can't do this. Life for me, it's it's no good. Paul said, I'm chained to somebody 24 hours a day. You know what that means? I have a captive audience. These jokers can't run away. I love Jesus so much. I'm going to spend this whole time talking about them. I mean, talking about him. So that was what, that's what Paul did. He spent the whole time sharing the gospel, and it says that it was spreading. Look at what it says in verse 13. Uh, go back in 12, just for context. That's what's happened to me. Why? It has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, not just them, and also to all the rest that my imprisonment is here for Christ. So in other words, it's been known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else. Paul is taking advantage of the situation that he's in. You know what Paul's getting? He's getting exactly what he's prayed for for years. I'll go back to the time to where I stood probably right about here in this spot. Well, technically probably about where Noah is because some of you older cats remember how the stage used to go out. There was like a little island that went out there. I don't know if you guys remember that. But I was probably standing right about where Noah is sitting right now. And I stood right there, and I said, hey, guys, let's all pray that God will give us an opportunity to exercise what? Patience. Remember what happened that night? That was the night that our German shepherd got sick and had diarrhea all over our brand-new carpet. And it was so hard for me that night to watch my wife clean that up. 100%, because I sat in the recliner the whole time, didn't I? And it stunk to high heaven. I was like, would you hurry up and get that stuff up? Because it stinks in this house. No. I mean, that's kind of facetious. There's, there's some truth to that, probably a lot more than you care to know. But, but what, what, what did I do that night? I sat there, and Suzanne's my witness. What did I say? I said, this is my fault because I stood in youth earlier tonight, and I prayed for God to give us an opportunity to, pray for, to, to exercise our patience. At 2.30 in the morning, as we're sitting there, we both have moved into our recliners at this point, and we're sitting there, and we're kind of talking. And I said, you know what? I guess God has given us an opportunity to work our patience out. Why did I say that Paul's getting what he prayed for? Paul's prayer was always to go and preach the gospel in Rome, specifically to the Roman guards. He's getting his opportunity. So, I mean, it's one of those things where Paul's probably thinking, like, I might should have curved my prayer life just slightly because I didn't quite want it to be this way. But he looked at it from a positive point of view Uh, That was going on in there. All right, I love this quote. Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, The same God who used Moses' rod, Gideon's pitchers, and David's sling is also the same God who used Paul's chains. Little did the Romans realize that the chains that were affixed to Paul's wrists would release him instead of bind him. Why did Warren Wiersbe write that? 
Somebody help me out. What is his, what's his thought process behind that whole thing of saying, like, hey, the fact that Paul is in prison, the chains have released him instead of bound him? Why? He got to do what he wanted to do. What else? Okay, instead of preaching, he wrote letters? Yeah. So he, he did both? Good, very good point. He had the opportunity to speak to people. He had a captive audience. These guys could not drag him out of the, out of the city and throw him into the ditch, stoned and half beaten to death like they, had, like they did in Tyre and Sidon and other places like this. This was a place to where Paul had the freedom to preach and teach at will and nobody would stop him. That was what he was doing. Now, let's keep reading on. Why, why was it effective? Because there's something about when you're going through misery and you look at it in a positive way like Paul did, you draw people's attentions. Case in point, there was a, a, a girl, I really don't remember her name. Uh, she was the one to her mom and dad uh, back in Houston uh, had an affair and they split up. And, and this girl, eventually, long story, let, me, let me close about a year gap. They got back together. Spoiler alert, but I've ruined the whole story if you were going to read it one day in my autobiography. Um, just joking, Ryan's going to write that for me. But it's going to be really short. He slept a lot. Uh, but so, um, but anyway, so after that year, oh, that spaghetti is killing me. Um, after, did you hit something back there? All right, anyway, so after that year, that's why you don't sit in the sound booth. You get blamed for everything. Uh, after, I'm just joking. After that year, mom and dad got back together. So we had her come and talk to the student ministry. Because, you know, we, we talked about this one other time before. Now this one's going to start doing it. All right. That's okay. We can conquer anything. It's the way you look at it. If I can find the power button. Thank you. All right. Now I'm not going to sound like a man anymore. I'm going to sound like Ryan. I don't have any bass in my throat. Uh, all right. He's not in here to defend himself, so we can say whatever we want. Uh, but he's, he's experiencing business meeting right now. But so after that year, mom and dad got back together. And so we asked this girl, we said, hey, why don't you come and share about your experience? She said, yeah, I would love to. Because, you know, let's be honest. Most of the time, people have great strides in their walk with Christ. What? When they come out of, when they come out of dire times, diverse times, straits. We'll talk about that in a few more minutes. But so this girl had came out. And people respond to crisis in what? One of two ways. They either run from God or they run to God, right? We talked about this uh, a few months ago. My thought was that this girl probably had ran from God a little bit. And, of course, now she's back. But this is what she said that was so awesome. And, man, as a, as, a, as a man that's listening to this young teenage girl talk, I was like, ow, wow, I'm not that mature yet. We were, we were talking to her, kind of an interview style like we did, uh, like we kind of did uh, for FCA. Talked to her, and I said, hey, well, tell me about, spiritually, what was life like when, when you were going through this with your mom and dad? And she said, well, I, I really got closer to God. I said, you got closer to God? I said, you didn't get mad at God and, and kind of run away? She said, Bob, she said, my whole world was turned upside down. The only thing that I knew that was going to remain constant in my life was God. So I grabbed on to him through the word, and I held on. I'm like, oh my gosh. So 
when you go through problems and situations and you respond that way, you capture an audience because people want to hear that. That's what's going on with Paul. Paul is falsely in prison. People knew that he was in prison because, not because he had broken a crime per se. They just got tired of hearing him preach Jesus so much. Because remember, who was in charge of the, of, of the world, this area of the world at the time? It's the same name that you share. You are what? Romans. Awesome. Good. Thank you for answering that. Um, so the Romans you know, pretty much conquered the known world at the time. When Rome, took, when Rome came into power, remember, any religion that was already established could continue to worship however they wanted to, just like they were. But here's the thing. I think it was called religio illicita is, is the, the, the Latin word for it, I believe. But no new religion could start up. There's the problem with Christianity. Christianity did not exist when Rome took over power. So that was the problem, why Paul was in prison, just because he was teaching and preaching about Jesus. He was saying, hey, look, the guy that started this movement, that is Jesus, he's God in the flesh, you guys are the ones that crucified him. They put him on the cross, so his blood is on your head. So that's just the message that's going on. That's why Paul's in prison. Obviously, people start to sympathize with Paul. He's in prison. He's bound in chains. Why? Just because all he was doing was speaking what he believed was the truth. So that's how he captures an audience. Um, Now, it says that in this passage of Scripture that even the guards were listening to him. The people, all the people were listening to him. In Acts, it talks about, um, uh, at the end of Acts, Acts chapter 28 is kind of where we see Paul's imprisonment even more. Um, because that's chronologically where this is taking place in the book of Acts. Um, so we go back to Acts 28, and we see all this stuff. So let me, let me kind of catch up with us a little bit. So here's what it was. Um, Paul was the one that was teaching and preaching all this stuff. He had a captive audience because he had chains, and he was bound by them. Um, and so people listened to what he had to say. Um, and I don't remember who it was. We talked about this either Warren Wiersbe, John MacArthur, one of these guys I was reading, it probably was John MacArthur, says this, and if you look back in history, this is true. The great movements, the great revivals that take place in our world come out of crisis. Any time that we have had a great movement of God in the people of God, it has been when we come through a crisis. Friends, some people think that today, November the 9th, 2016, the crisis has began because their person did not get elected as president. I see this as an opportunity, as an opportunity for God to move in the lives of people. That's why I say that it's a divided country today, but the opportunities for God to move is when people's hearts are weeping in their mourning, and they can open up, and God can move in their life. I pray for revival all the time, and here's the truth. Revival will not start in this town until it starts in my life. If I am not going through revival in my life, I cannot take anyone to revival But as revival continues and grows in my life, then out of the overflow of my heart, revival can spill over into Sam's life. And then as Sam starts experiencing revival, it can spill over into Noah's life. 
And as Noah starts experiencing revival, it can spill over into Gabrielle's life, and then Allie's life, and Zoe's life, and so forth, and so on. But revival will not start until it starts with you. Paul was a man that was in the midst of revival. He was in revival in jail. He was in revival back in jail when the whole church in Philippi started, as Ryan talked about last week. The Philippian jailer, they were in there singing hymns and songs and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, the earthquake came, and the jailer runs in, and Paul says, hey, don't kill yourself, for we're still here. That is a guy that's looking at life through the lens of joy. Now, was Paul always happy? No. Joy and happiness are two totally different things. But a joy-filled life leads to happiness in your life. I'll give you this. Here's a spoiler alert. Your marriage is not meant to make you happy. Don't fall in and don't buy in to the culture of what culture says. Your, your marriage that we're about to do, uh, hold up, Clay, your marriage that we're about to do sooner, we've talked about this before, is not meant to make you happy. It's meant to make you what? Holy. Because I promise, within a marriage, you learn about sacrifice, serving, joy, happiness, all of these things. You learn about giving of yourself. That's what holiness is like. And when you look at your marriage to where it is going to lead you into a life of holiness, happiness usually follows along every time because you can't do something for someone out of pure, genuine love and be bitter about it. Paul was a joy-filled person. There's another man in history that was joy-filled. This is a man that lived in the 17th century. He was a great speaker, powerful preacher. And don't think of, don't think of, uh, of, of John Wesley or, or any of these guys, or, or don't think of, uh, uh, don't think of, of uh, uh, Spurgeon. I'm not, I'm not talking about Spurgeon. I'll tell you who it is in a moment. But this is a man, another man that lived in the 17th century. He was a powerful, popular preacher, and I'm paraphrasing what John MacArthur said about this, um, but his teaching and preaching was completely unacceptable in the eyes of God. I mean, I'm sorry, his teaching and preaching was completely unacceptable in the eyes of the church in England at this time, so the leaders threw him into jail. They threw him into jail because they wanted to silence him. But they had the reverse thing that happened. As they threw this man into jail, he was like Paul. He continued to look at the cup as half full. So he, he would go out into the courtyards of the jail, and he would continue to preach daily. So much so that the jailers, the people in prison, would come into the courtyard and hear this. The people in the city of Bedford that was around them, I want to make sure I get the city right. Yes, the city of Bedford, England, people would come from the surrounding city and they would gather outside the jail to hear this man preach. And the jailers saw that this wasn't working. He was still being effective. So they took him and they threw him into solitary confinement into the center of the jail and said, you cannot preach anymore. Be silent. And they set him in there. And that is where Paul Bunyan wrote the pilgrims. I'm sorry. I say that every time. That's where John Bunyan, I wrote it down. Paul Bunyan. That's where John Bunyan wrote the Pilgrim's Progress. 
for centuries. The Pilgrim's Progress was the number one read, translated uh, uh, book in history outside of the Bible. Was, was John Bunyan's ministry stopped when they tried to silence him? When they put the metaphorically, when they put the shackles on him, did they bind him or release him? They released John Bunyan by putting him in the center of the prison because from that moment he had the opportunity in solitary and in the quietness to write Pilgrim's Progress. Millions, tens of millions to be exact, people have listened, I'm sorry, have read this book. John Bunyan was just like Paul. When the Romans put the shackles on him, they didn't bind him, they released him because in there, like you said, he had the opportunity to preach and teach to the guards, but more importantly, he had the opportunity to write letters. Letters today that have been canonized, that means they've been put in Scripture and that we read about and they open us up to who God is and what God has done in the people of God in the history of the world. So, now, we see his... His, um, his attitude of what was going on. So let's look at what else was going on as well too. Paul was also being persecuted. It says here then in verse 15 that it says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, the former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. In other words, there were some people that were trying to hurt, hurt Paul. Now, here's the thing. They were preaching Scripture and teaching Scripture, but it was, it was not out of the purity and the genuineness of heart. In other words, people can, can, can talk about what a book says. Well, okay, so, so you're telling me that the Bible says this, and it teaches this, and that God has done this, and all those things. They can teach that, and it says that they were teaching those things, but also you can have someone that has sold their life out completely to that, and not, not out of envy or strife, but out of love or teaching and preaching the doctrines of Scripture. And this is, what, this is Paul's attitude in this. Paul's like, I don't care. Why? Because Christ is being proclaimed, and the gospel is still being advanced. In other words, the cup is still half full. Even though people were, were, were being, uh, uh, even though the people were being strife and envious towards Paul, Paul still decided that, hey, I control my actions, my attitude. I choose to look at this in a positive light. Here it is. What good is coming from this situation at this time? Now, here's, here's some things that Paul did. He, he stayed joyful. Why? Because he didn't lose sight of the people that were actually preaching and teaching out of goodwill. You know, if you, if you, in other words, if you walk into a room and there's, there's one or two people in that room that, that say hurtful things about you and don't like you, but there's 98 other people in that room that love you dearly, why is it that we lose sight of the 98 but we only focus on the one or two? That's what we do in life. Paul chose not to look that way. Paul instead looked at it and said, hey, there's one or two over here that don't like me, that are being you know, spiteful towards me, that are, that are not being you know, good stewards of the gospel. But here's the thing. There is 98 people in this room that I call brothers and sisters. Now, that's metaphorically. That's us. That's not what's going on in Paul. Or maybe, maybe you, you come to youth group 
here tonight, you come to youth ministry, and there's one person in here that, you know, you don't really get along with that well, and you kind of hope that sometimes, man, I hope that they're not here because I'm here, and we don't really get, oh, great, they're here. And the whole time, you may sit over in this corner, and that person may sit over here. I'm not saying it's you and my wife. Hopefully, you guys like each other. Uh, but, you know, but you may sit over here like this the whole time. I cannot believe, what are they thinking? Are they looking at me? Are they doing this? You're missing the whole point. That's what you're doing. But instead, if you focus on everyone else in the room that says, I love you because Christ loves me, so I love you, then we get so much more out of it. Paul was able to stay joyful because through the gloom, he he stayed focused on Christ and what was going on. Um, All right, so let's draw some conclusions from this. What's the whole purpose? Like I said, Paul's whole purpose in life was that he wanted to proclaim Christ in every situation that was going on, whether he was in prison, uh, whether he was out walking through the, the streets, or, whatever, or whether he was chained to a guard, Paul was still the guy that wanted to continue to speak life into people, he, 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 whether he was, you know, people that are in a hospital. Uh, I love to talk to people that have been, have been sick. I know some people that have been sick, they've gone through some stages of cancer and different things, and, and they've said this, they're like, hey man, the whole time we were in there, we had healthcare providers that every day that they walked in there, we asked, hey, how can I pray for you? Because we're going to pray. My family's here. Today I'm a little bit better. We're going to give God the glory. So how can we pray for you? And when that healthcare provider, day in and day out, sees that type of genuineness, starts to affect their life. Because you ask, how can somebody be so happy when so much is going wrong in their life? See, because those people stay joyful, even in the midst of gloom. That's what Paul did. So, so forth and so on. Uh, now, <clears throat> let, me, let me close with this here. Paul was able to make good decisions based on what was going on here. He said, hey, look, I know that some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. And he says, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Was Paul going to suffer for the gospel? Do you think Paul might have known that? Do we know this in Scripture, that Paul was going to suffer as a result of the gospel? Well, if we look at Acts, chapter 9, there's a man named Ananias. Um, Ananias is told to go, and Paul is going to be at this certain location. Ananias is supposed to go and pray over Paul, and Ananias is a little worried to go pray over Paul because, you know, that was the guy that was killing all the people like, I don't know, like Ananias, his buds. You know, it'd be almost like a, a Jewish man having to go and pray over Hitler in Nazi Germany. They didn't want to pray over, and they wanted to run as far away from him as they could. This is, this is the kind of the reputation that Saul had. Um, this is Ananias' response when he was told to go and pray over him. And Oh, by the way, he's blind right now, but when you pray over him, he's going to have sight. Oh, great. So he can aim down the target and really hit me. All right, so here's what he says. He says, rise and go to the street called Straight. This is the Lord talking to him. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Great, God, you've let him see that I'm going to come and pray over him, and then he's going to see me. Thanks. What have I done? Um, 
Then he says, for he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. This is Ananias' response. Lord, I've heard many, I've heard from many about this man and how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And he has the authority from chief priests to bind all who come on your name. But this is what the Lord said. But the Lord said this, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name to the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Here it comes. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul was a joy-filled man. Matter of fact, he said that he counted it pure joy, my brothers, when I fall into diverse trials and situations. In other words, when trouble came his way, he counted it joy because it gave him an opportunity to exercise his faith. He was continuing to grow. How was the gospel continuing to advance? Because Paul's attitude stayed positive the whole time. Everything that came his way, he looked at it as an opportunity to make much of Jesus. I want to ask you, is that your heart? Like I said, today there were a lot of people that woke up, and they woke up mad. A lot of people that say they're Christian, and a lot of people that don't even proclaim to be Christian. They woke up. We all woke up, if you look at the numbers, to a split country, divided 100% down the middle, almost to the percentage. Guys, we have such a great opportunity to show Jesus in the way that we love. Are we going to face opposition? Yes. But when we face opposition, Stay joy-filled because we are trying to take those opportunities to make much of Jesus. In your schools, it's happening. I've seen it on Twitter. Some of your friends and some of you maybe that are in here, you you had this view of things and this person's had this view of things and this person said, well, you're an idiot and that person has said, well, you're the idiot because, you know, we have gained nothing by that stuff. What does the Bible teach us? Out of love, teach that to people.